0: We're in the we are we're walking through the Passion Week, um, remembering that the 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 word passion uh, doesn't just mean strong emotion, the word passion um, actually refers to suffering, (laughs) suffering in this case, the Passion Week, the suffering of Jesus. And so, we're walking uh, from now until the end of April, all the way through to the cross and and beyond to the ascension. And so, um, if you're a visual learner, you're welcome for the icons, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. See, I see that hand. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully this this helps you to track with us what we're what we're doing, where we're landing, and also I just I just have been praying that the the richness of the story of Christ would bring all kinds of things to our hearts as we do this together. Um, We are closely looking at what Jesus said and what he did, and we're journeying with him to the cross. So let's set the scene where we we ended off last week. Um, You'll notice that we didn't start on Sunday, Palm Sunday. Why did we not start on Palm Sunday? Who was listening 10 points? Because we're going to do Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday. Yeah, because that's just ridiculous to not do Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday. So we will go back to the beginning and talk about how the week started when we get there on April the 10th. Uh, so what has happened so far is that Jesus has ridden on a donkey into Jerusalem. That's Palm Sunday. We haven't uh, really gone through that yet. And, he's, and then he's gone. He looked at the temple. Then he went to Bethany and, and, uh, and rested. Then the next day, he came back to the temple. That was Monday, we talked about that last week. He saw the money changing, he saw the selling of the doves. He, he cleared the temple. And he, and he was like, this is not how this was supposed to be. We talked about that last week. And then he went back to Bethany. And now, uh, we're gonna pick the story up on Tuesday. That was Monday. Uh, we're gonna pick the story back up. Uh, he is uh, coming now back to Bethany um, sometime during the day on Tuesday. We're going to talk about Tuesday night. Next week, Pastor Aaron's going to talk about what happened on Tuesday night. So we'll talk about this during the day sometime on Tuesday. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. There are parallel passages for this um, in Mark chapter 11 and Luke chapter 20. So you're welcome to read those. They all have just a, a little bit of a different take, but generally speaking the same. So we'll read it from Matthew. If you're in you version this morning, you can, of course, load that up in more and then events. And then these, these scriptures are, are loaded for you there already. So let's hear what happens uh, on to Jesus when he comes back again now uh, to the temple courts on Tuesday. Matthew 21, starting at verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why don't you believe, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people for they All hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, "We don't know." Then he said, "Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things." So is Jesus being cheeky? Are you asking yourself, "Is Jesus being cheeky?" Actually, no. I mean, maybe, but I wasn't there. But but actually, no. It does sort of read that way, though, doesn't it? Um, There there are a lot of things going on here in these very few verses. And so let's look at this exchange between them. Let's, let's break it down a little bit together. Um, and, but I do, and I do want you to keep your finger kind of there or keep your app open there because I want you to do that. And then we're going to scroll a bit. Um, if you have a physical Bible, they're not all loaded in Version. Or if you're in the, uh, the app, you can al- always just go to the next chapter because we're going to look what happens just after that too. But let's land here for a few minutes together and see what Jesus said to them and then what he said next. I, I, I took a coaching course. Uh, not like sports coaching, like like personal life coaching uh, that was offered through our district. I did it last fall. Um, I had thought about taking it, but I didn't know, and I heard there was, like, role-playing and... Uh, whatever. So I was like, but then Pastor Aaron had to take it for her ordination. And then she said it wasn't bad. So then I decided to take it too. And it was great. And I actually really, I loved it. It Actually, I found it really, really helpful. And if you don't know what coaching is, uh, the premise of coaching is to lead someone through a series of questions and help them on their own to get to what they need to do next or a decision that they need to make and find their options and then to commit to a plan and then to move forward in some area of their life, big or small. So, for example, like, we did some very small things. Like, one, one lady in our group uh, was, was procrastinating. This was in the fall, so she was needed to get her fireplace ready for the winter, but she kept procrastinating it, and so our, our instructor was leading her through a series of coaching questions to help her make a plan for getting that done in time for winter. So, like, there's those kinds of things. But he asked one day, um, does anybody have, like, a fuzzy goal, something you'd like to do but you um, you you don't really have a plan for, but you kind of think you might want to do it. I want something like really broad and that you have no parameters for. So I offered this and I said, I've always wanted to take my master's. I would really like to take my master's. There's a lot of reasons I haven't. One of them is time, one is money, you know, like, and then also there's 8 million bazillion master's programs. Which one do I want to take? So there's a lot of reasons I haven't really clarified that in my life. So if you were in a mentoring relationship and I came to you and I said, I really would like to take my master's, but I, I don't know if I should, I don't know what to take, I don't know when to do it. Uh, a mentor might say to you something like, oh, that's cool. Um, so I, when I did my master's, here's what I did. Um, and here's some, a path that I went down, and, and uh, here are some things you might want to think about, and here are some things I didn't do well that you could learn from, but you might want to avoid these pitfalls. That's what a mentor would do. If you went to a counselor or a therapist, and you were talking this question out about, because it's a big, like, big future question. A therapist, counselor might say something to you like, well, let's, a, let's assign some meaning to, to your master's, right? Like, so why do you want to do it? And is there something in you that says you feel like you have to do it? And what would it mean for you if you did do it? And let's assign a bit of meaning in your life to why this is something that keeps coming up for you, right? That would be something. But coaching is a little different. And so my, the coach, the instructor, who of course is a, like a certified coach, would say things to me like, What do you think would change? Like, put yourself five years in the future Have you finished a master's degree. What would change in your life? Okay, is that something that's worth pursuing? Is that a strong enough motivation for you to want to do that? So I would talk through that. Okay, okay, so that's fine. So if the answer is yes, then what are the steps involved? So what do you feel like is the first step? Okay, what would be the next step? What would be the next step? Okay, so let's go back to the first step. What would it require for you to actually take that first step? So that was the coaching process that I went through. So you can see there's differences in the way that we interact. And I just found this process Fascinating. Um, I'd never had somebody break it down. There are lots of probably areas in your life where you do this naturally, uh, but I had never, you know, I had never heard about it like this. And it was so eye-opening for me. And I saw demonstrations of coaching, like I said, from the, the smallest little activity to like big life goals. There was uh, uh, someone who was literally being led through uh, a series of coaching questions that helped them. They in in this in the on the Zoom call, they had they made a big decision about their life and ministry. They were kind of stuck and it was like, just through a series of questions, they were like, yeah, actually, I can see, this is actually what I need to do. And there was somebody who was trying to figure out where to get t-shirts for their baptism. Like they wanted to, like everybody who was getting baptized at the church had the same, but they just didn't know like how to start, like finding that and what the best prices were and how to get a graphic done. And so like anything, like anything was coached through and it was, it was a super cool process. And uh, when the person is asked basically, like the, the coached person, the client, if you will, is being asked to um, really consider their own motivation, their own thoughts, their own expectations, and then they're asked to commit to something, to a next step of some kind. And it was really, really powerful. Uh, and so I, would, I tell you that to say, when I read what Jesus is saying here, I, 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 I would tell you, I, it's not evasive or cheeky to respond to a question with a question unless you're being evasive on purpose, and then check your heart, okay? But like in general, just, just as a general principle, it's not, it's not evasive to, to respond to a question with a question. It's actually a really great method to have the question asker be, uh, be able to ask themselves, uh, what is the motivation? Why were they asking in the first place? Why is this even a thing? It allows the person asking the question uh, to have them test their own thoughts, their assumptions, to figure something out for themselves, and I'll tell you that as I've thought about coaching in this way because of this course I took, uh, it, I have found it to be. If this is just like this is not really on topic, but maybe, but I actually found this a, a really great great way to talk about scripture with my family, with my kids. Because if they're asking me something about their life, or like they're having an, a, a situation at, at school or whatever, or they're wondering, they heard something at church, or Pastor Ethan's like saying something in, incredibly weird at, at youth, and they're like, is this in the Bible or whatever? <laughs> Literally never happened. Never happened. Uh, but like, it's a great way to say, well, well, what have you read in scripture? You know, so I'm not being evasive. I'm saying like, so so what do you, well, you're having this situation. This is going on in your life. Well, what do you think? Like, what have you heard you know, what What would Jesus probably do in this situation? Or what have you seen and modeled in his life? And you can ask questions to help um, the next generation to sort of mine out on their own, right? This is true for all of us. It's actually been a really helpful skill to learn. So I, I love coaching. Coaching is fantastic. And uh, I, I, I want to take, take the next level of that course, but I've heard there's a lot more role playing in it, so I don't know. I want somebody else to take it and t- tell me <laughs> Do you know, does anybody else feel that way about like when you hear this role playing in it? You're just like, oh, I don't wanna. <laughs> uh, I can't. <laughs> I'll get over. It. Maybe I just need to. Maybe I just need to submit that to Jesus. So I'll just ask him. Um, so if there, if if you're ever talking to me now, because of this course has really helped me with this. But if you're talking to me, um, if something you say really piques my curiosity or I'm just not really sure what you mean, or something you've said is like really loaded, like you've made a statement that's really super loaded with meaning. Um, I'll use a phrase something like, how many of you have heard me say this a lot? Say more about that. Hmm, interesting, say more about that. You know, it's a coaching technique, right? Just to say, I'm not gonna tell you what I think you just said, I want you to say more about what you just said about that. And so that's why I tell you this to say that I I don't think Jesus is being cheeky or evasive in his response to the chief priests and elders. he's actually according to what i was studying he's actually using an approved rabbinic method of debate because the rabbis the teachers um this is very common in the way that they taught scripture the way that they taught the law the way that they unpacked the law and helped people to live it out is that they asked questions when they were asked questions um very very common way to do that and so jesus that was first of all common in in what he was doing but also if you think about it, Jesus was the master of coaching before coaching was coaching. Before you could take a Zoom course on coaching, Jesus was already coaching because he understood that people needed to understand something and walk it out for themselves. And the chief priests and elders saw Jesus coming back to the temple courts again that Tuesday. And they knew that they had to step in and do something because this was getting out of control. This Jesus thing and the the turning of the tables and and the riding in on the donkey and the the declaration of his authority. they, they knew they had to step in and curb what he was doing because it wasn't, it wasn't going in a direction that they were comfortable with by a long shot. And so they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And of course, these things aren't specifically spelled out, but we can imagine they do mean like, of course, the clearing of the temple and the riding in on the donkey and letting people say, Hosanna, blessed is he who come in the name of the Lord and declaring him the Messiah. Like, Who said that you could do these things? Who said you could heal in the temple? Like all of these things are probably wrapped up in what they meant there. And, and the question of authority was a really, really big deal to the Jews because um, they, they had to submit to the Romans out of necessity because the Romans had, had conquered them. So, but they didn't actually believe that the Romans had the authority to... To rule, to rule and govern them. They didn't really believe that. They just were sort of stuck in a place where they had to, because they were waiting for the Messiah to come and overthrow the Romans, right? To take back um, the, the, the rightful reign of their people. And, and so here's the question they're asking of Jesus. So you're not a Roman. You don't have political authority over us. And you're not the great Sanhedrin, which is a mix of these uh, religious leaders who created this body called the Sanhedrin uh, that had spiritual authority. So And you're not a representative of the Sanhedrin, so you don't have any spiritual authority over us. So whose authority are you walking around doing all of these things under? This is an important question to them. But Jesus was not prepared to give them a direct answer on Tuesday. It is not that he did not understand who he was or where his authority came from. I think we can be pretty clear on that. He knew who he was. He knew what he had come to do. He knew that he was the son of God. He did. But if you think about what would have happened if on Tuesday morning, he had laid out for them plainly who he was and what he had come to do, then what needed to happen on Thursday night wouldn't have happened on Thursday night when it needed to happen. So he just wasn't ready to totally show his full hand yet because it wasn't the timing of God. It wasn't the right time. It was coming very, very soon. But that wasn't the moment and that wasn't the question that needed to be answered. Everything had to be done in God's time, and Jesus was um, perfect in his following of the Father's plan and will. Perhaps even more than all of that, though, the, Jesus' indirect answer, his, his answering the question with a question, what it, really, what it really did was reveal in the askers what needed to be revealed. It, it wasn't about uh, what Jesus just decided he, he wasn't prepared to share with them about who he was and to make that declaration on, the, on Tuesday. It was that the people who were asking the question needed to have something revealed in their lives, and he knew that. It wasn't about Jesus proving anything to anyone. It was about the motivation of the question, the origin of the question. So Jesus, of course, says, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from, it actually kind of reminds me of that, like, it's the, the riddle, it's the riddle game. Okay, well, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or earth? So, did, John, did Jesus change the subject here? You might be wondering. Like, why is he talking about John's baptism all of a sudden when they were asking him about his authority? And the answer is no, not really. Because Jesus understood that what these religious teachers understood and believed about John, so, this is John the Baptist we're talking about. What they believed about him had huge implications for what they believed about Jesus. And Jesus knew that, so that's where he just really got to the heart of it and in, in such a brilliant way. Because if they said that John's ministry was from God, then they would have to admit that Jesus was the Messiah. Why? Because John had unmistakably said so. So if they say, yeah, John's ministry was incredible, and it was obviously from God, and he was obviously a prophet, and he was calling the people to repentance, and he had an incredible ministry from God, John himself, you can read about it in John chapter 1, 30, or 29 to, um, to 34, what John the Baptist says about Jesus. He says, that is the Son of God. So if you declare that John the Baptist was from God, then you're declaring that what he said about Jesus was that he was the Messiah. But if you say that John is not from God, but the people clearly believed he was because of the incredible things that happened in his ministry, then you're going to start a riot. Because according to the people, John had been martyred by Herod, um, and he had died as a prophet of the highest order. So this is is what's happening here. The people believe that John was a martyr, he died as a prophet, and um, and, and John had said who Jesus was, unmistakably so. So they're stuck. This is a very awkward position for the religious leaders to be in. Because one of their duties as the Sanhedrin, ironically in this case, was to distinguish true prophets from false prophets. Like that was part of their job. So this is what Jesus is saying. So you guys are the ones who are supposed to discern. So tell me, was John the Baptist a prophet, a true prophet or a false prophet? Their reputations depended on them being able to answer this question. But you can hear, like in the commentary here, how they were completely stuck uh, with with what to say. There was like a no win situation for them. And I I, I would suspect it's not that they actually specifically didn't know about John's ministry or where it came from, it's not that they couldn't have taken the, the Old Testament scriptures and compared John's ministry to what they had read about the forerunner of Christ. Uh, and whether or not John's ministry lined up with the word of God, they could have done that work. They absolutely could have. And they could have sought God on the question and said, God, show us who John is. Like, we want to lead these people well. And we, want to, like, we don't want to lead anyone astray. And we don't want anyone to lead your people astray. So show us, Lord. Show us. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom here. They absolutely could have prayed that to find the answer about John. But they chose deliberate ignorance And interestingly enough, they actually chose it at the cost of their pride, knowing that if they couldn't answer the question, then they're not doing what the people expected them to do and had put them in that position of authority to do over them. So they weren't uncertain. (laughs) It's just that they were being diplomatic. It was a political move for them. And they were willing to, uh, instead of answering the question, you know, what is the truth about John, therefore the truth about Jesus, they were willing to say instead, What's the safe thing to say right now? And that's all they were willing to do. They raised the question of Jesus' authority, and then Jesus raised the question of their competence to judge such an issue, which is, I guess, cheeky in its own way, in its own right, right? That's, that's a little, that, that hurts a bit, but that's what's going on here. And you might wonder, uh, just uh, just to help give some context here, in case this is a new concept for you, what is John's baptism? Like when Jesus is saying, uh, was John's baptism from God or not? Um, John's baptism, scripture says, is a baptism of repentance, so John the Baptist came and he started to preach that uh, be, come and get ready because the Messiah is coming, get your hearts ready, and be baptized and he was baptizing people in water as a symbol of repentance to say like i am I'm ready for what um we're ready for the Messiah, our hearts are getting right before God, and that was john's baptism and uh and 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 so also, when you say when Jesus said John's baptism, it's also probably like an umbrella statement to kind of refer to his whole ministry, right? Not just the specific act of baptism, but like in John's baptism or in in the in the ministry that John was doing, was it from God or not? In Matthew three, eleven, John says, I baptize with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's just a different sermon for a different day. I'm just going to leave that. I'm going to leave that right there. It's so good. But you can see, for our, for our purposes this morning, that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And that's what Jesus is referring to, John's ministry, and specifically that he was calling people to repentance. And then they were uh, having this act of baptism to, to signify that that's where their hearts were. And now listen to what Luke's gospel records about what John's baptism meant to these religious leaders okay so uh, this was this was one of those things that came up in our our reading our reading plan that we've been going through as a church the bible in a year and it's one of those things that jumped off the page to me i don't and i was like this has always been in scripture it it has been so maybe you already knew this and i this was just like this came off the page to me. Listen to, listen, it's in brackets, so this is like a little note, a little note that Luke is making in his, in his um, gospel, Luke 7, 29 and 30. It says, all the people, even the tax collectors, so like the really bad people, uh, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Did you know that was in the Bible? <laughs> you guys knew. Okay, it's okay. I, I'm, ca- I'm caught up now. I'm caught up. I just was like, this is such a powerful statement. When the heart hasn't been baptized in repentance, it rejects God's purpose for itself. This is the, this is the statement here. And, and this is not a sermon about, re- about repentance But, of course, specifically, but remember that that repentant, humble heart before God is always the first layer of a follower of Christ. Like, that's the first thing, and that's the thing we keep coming back to, always. So what started as a question of Jesus' authority has become a question of the heart of the asker. And that's why Jesus turns the question back on them. Okay, so you can open your Bible back up. I know you've been keeping your finger there just like this whole time being like, are we ever coming back to the scripture? Matthew 21. So this is where we were. We read that about this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders. And as far as we can tell in the gospel record from, from what we have, uh, Jesus went on, from this question into a series of powerful parables and other teachings and so that's what I just want you to look for yourself you'll see what I'm talking about flip a few pages you'll see what I mean in Matthew's account if you have a red letter Bible it's a little even easier to see but um, you can see in Matthew's account that you have the authority of Jesus' questioned. These are like the, head, the headlines in the NIV. It goes right into the parable of the two sons. Jesus continues on the parable of the tenants. He continues on the parable of the wedding banquet. Then he starts to teach them about paying uh, the tax to Caesar. And he continues from this point of questioning about his authority to teach. And he teaches like for pages in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and in the other Gospels as well, you, you see these, Um, parables and teachings lined up uh, right here on Tuesday of the Passion Week. But specifically, there's a lot of teaching there that you can flip through, you can see for yourself, but specifically, what does he say, according to these gospel writers, right after this exchange on his authority? The first parable he tells is... um, yeah, oh, actually, I guess I should tell you what happens after them first. You'll see, if you're, if you're still in Matthew 21 there, that verses 45 and 46, that Matthew interrupts, interrupts the red letters to make a little note here in the narrative. That after Jesus teaches the first two parables, uh, these people who were questioning his authority, they completely understand what he's saying about them. And this he says, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So you'll understand that these parables were undoubtedly and undeniably about those who had just asked him the question. So you need to understand that a bit of that context. So what does Jesus say after he says, I'm not gonna tell you about where my authority comes from either since you refuse to uh, acknowledge, acknowledge where my authority comes from, even though you probably already know. He first tells the parable of the two sons. The parable of the two sons is is what happens when uh, the father says to the one son, "Uh, will you go out and work in the field today, please? And he says, sure, dad, that sounds great. And the son says that, the father leaves, the son does not go and work in the field, okay? Then he says to his other son, hey, would you go work in the field today, please? And the the son says, no, thank you. Uh, I do not want to do that, and so fine. But then when the father leaves, the son decides, actually, I'm going to, and he goes and works in the field anyway. Um, And so the question is, which son was obedient to the father? The one who said they weren't going to go, and then and then, and then did, or the one who said he was going to go but didn't. So of course the thing is, well, the one who did what his father asked him to do was obedient, right? So there's this. It's not about saying what you're going to do, it's about doing what you need to do, right? Okay. So then he tells the the parable of the, of the tenants. So there's a landowner who has leased uh, a vineyard to to some tenants, and when the harvest comes in, he sends a servant to collect his portion of the harvest. And uh, instead of giving the the servant what is belongs to the the landowner, the, they they do they he does this three times. Is a bit of a bit of a difference in, in some of the gospel writers, but basically they they either kill all three servants or they they beat on one, they stone one, and they kill one. That's not a good scene. Um, every time that the master the landowner sends somebody to collect. This is what happens. And so then the landowner says, okay, I'm gonna send my son because surely they'll respect him and we'll get this whole matter sorted out. So he sends the son and the son is killed by the tenant. So then Jesus says, what, what's the landowner gonna do? And they're like, well, he, yeah, the, the landowner, what's he gonna do the tenants? Of course, he's going to throw them out and they're, they're, they're going to be in a very bad situation, right? Uh, it's a little bit different in every gospel account, but generally speaking, uh, he says, "Therefore, Jesus says, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. So, There's a harsh message in here from Jesus. So those are the first two, and this is where the, the religious leaders say, we understand what you're saying and we do not like it. Thank you very much. And then... Um, and then he keeps going and he tells another parable. He tells a parable of the wedding banquet. The king um, invites people to his son's wedding banquet, banquet and they refuse to come. So he sends his servants and invites them again. But they say, I'm sorry, I'm so busy. I got stuff going on. Literally, this is what they say. I'm, we have so much going on. And not only that, they seized the servants who were the, the, the messengers and they mistreated them. So the king says, fine. Go and bring in anyone in the streets you can find. Just bring everybody. Let's just fill the banquet hall. Invite everyone. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter their social status. It doesn't matter. Just invite everyone to come and see who comes. Um, and so he invites them, good, bad, whatever, bring them all. Um, and then there's a, a kind of a, a twist ending here where somebody comes to the banquet without their wedding clothes, which is, I guess, a way of saying in that culture, it's an insult to the host. You came, but you, would, you didn't really come with respect. Uh, You came for some other reason, and they were thrown out. So those who were invited didn't come, and so everybody got invited, you know, because it was rejected by the ones who was given to first. And these parables just hammer home the message here. Each of them reveals God's judgment on the leaders of Israel for rejecting Jesus, the one that they were waiting for but refused to see. So the question, of course, in the Passion Week on Tuesday morning, maybe afternoon, I don't know how long it took them to walk from Bethany to the temple, or what time, how late their breakfast was, or whatever. So, sometime on Tuesday, Uh, what does this have to do with us? What does Tuesday in the Passion Week have to do with us? I mean, here we are, here we are off campus. We've we've actually done the opposite. We've gathered around the message of Christ. Um, We're not rejecting the Messiah. We're learning about him. Like, we've done this intentionally today. We've gathered to worship him. So what does this have to do with us? And of course, like any part of scripture, there are always things that we can, um, that can speak to our hearts and things that definitely do apply to us. And there are, there are two that really, there's lots we could talk about. There's two that really, um, that came off the page to me and they might not seem related, but they very much are. The first one is about authority and the second is about our ability to hear. So that was definitely what's going on in in this, not only the exchange, just the exchange between the the leaders and Jesus, but then what Jesus taught about afterwards. The king's authority, uppercase K, king, the king of the world, uh, the king of all, the king's authority will threaten anyone who wants to assume authority for themselves. And this is what we see happening. That's why they're asking him about authority. They had authority, spiritual authority over the people, so who are you? So if you have authority and you don't want to give up authority, the king's authority, the ultimate authority, will threaten you in the place where you feel like you have authority. And I know that I'm not alone in wanting to be the authority of my own life. This is, this is like the original sin. I, I want to make my own choices. I want to do what feels right for me. And then, obviously, I want to have God come alongside and bless it after I've decided what's good for me. I can't be alone in this, you guys. Uh, But the act of salvation, you know, what it means to be born again is that I have given up the authority of my life to the king, the true king. And so the question is, um, and we're always asking this here, we, we do this a lot, I do this in my own life, do I trust the king to rule my life according to his love and goodness, accepting hardship and trouble with confidence in his ability to redeem and restore and use it for his glory? Do I trust him to do that? The religious leaders, they, they saw their authority threatened by the true king, and they were not willing to yield it. And the question is always, every day in my life, will that be my story? Will that be my story? And the good news uh, in this all is that the kingdom of God doesn't depend on man-made authority. It doesn't depend on you having some position that's religious or political or whatever. It's a matter of the lost being saved. It's a matter of the son of God being believed in and then the choice to be obedient to him. Even if you're not considered righteous or important to begin with, everyone is invited. And he's the king and and he's the one who gets to invite us into his kingdom and he has. And that's the great news about the gospel. And if we will serve him and not ourselves and we are invited to the banquet. That's, that's the message here. So that's the one thing. about the, It's difficult to give up our authority to the true king. That's, that's a piece of it. And the other piece is that, that this idea of hearing and responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit that requires um, intention and attentiveness. And these things might not seem related. But if you have not given up authority of your life to Christ in following him, then your ability to intentionally and attentively hear, listen to and hear and respond to the voice of the Spirit is going to be greatly reduced. Jesus said that he taught in parables so that people who were hungry for the truth would be able to seek it out and find him. He didn't just like, he, he was coaching before coaching was coaching. Like he was making it so that people had to dig for themselves, hear for themselves, ask questions of themselves, and then be able to see it and respond to it. He said he did it on purpose. He wanted to capture people's hearts. He wanted to ask the question and then let the answer that they sought out change them forever because he knew that it would. He wasn't just there to fill their heads with knowledge. And the the truth is, if your heart is hard towards God, then you won't be able to see his truth and you won't be able to see his beauty. You won't be able to see all that is in Jesus, in Christ. But if your heart is searching for him, scripture is incredibly clear that he will be found by you. When Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. I wonder how we would respond to his challenge. I wonder, um, will we give up authority and trust his? And will we search for the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in Christ? Because those two things are very related. And if you see yourself in the story this morning, and there are things you are struggling with to give up authority of, I just, I do want to invite you today, and I want to spend a couple minutes just uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us about this before we close. I want to invite you to lay down your authority. And um, I want to invite you to soften your heart so that you can hear the Lord. Um, I don't, I got to tell you, just pastorally speaking, one of the things I hear most often, the biggest frustration in people's spiritual lives is, I just can't hear God. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like, maybe you're there right now. I, I would suspect just from how often I've heard this or I've never heard from God. I believe in Jesus. Like I'm reading the story and I get it and I hear it and whatever. And I believe in him, but I've never heard from him. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where to go next. because I just, I just don't know how to hear from the Lord. And I, I hear you, I, I hear you. And so I would just invite you into this process. I don't care if you are the youngest person in the room or the oldest person in the room. I just want to always invite you to this process. Sometimes we just cannot hear the Lord because we refuse to give up the control of the thing that we want to hear from him about. I got to tell you, that has been true of my life more times than is reasonable to admit. And um, when I can truly say to God, I actually don't want you to just bless what I want you to do. I want you to tell me what you want me to do. And I'm going to trust you for the outcome in that. How much more clear the path becomes in front of me. How when I open the scriptures, the, the, you know, the very words of God, they, do, they start to speak. Um, and, and on and on it goes. And so I just want to invite you. If you are in a place where you would just really need to hear from God, and as I prayed earlier, I guess in, in, in some way that's all of us every single day, of course. But specifically this morning, if you really need to hear from God, um, I've just invited Adam to come and lead us for a little bit. Let's stand together. Um, we're just going to make this a place of prayer and worship. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to take these words from Scripture. Consider yourself in this story and say, are there things that I need to give up authority of because I really need to hear from God? I'm willing to let go of because I actually do want him to be the king and not me. I recognize that would be a disaster if it was me, but I do try to hold on to these things anyway. let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and speak. Um, if you wanna come and pray a- around the altar, if that's a, sometimes that is a really important step in just laying down our pride, just to step out and, and just come and say, I am here to hear from you. That is my intention. You're welcome. This space is open for you to do that. Off campus, we are so glad that you were here with us this morning. And as we go into this prayer time, we're gonna say goodbye to you, but uh, I wanna invite you. Uh, wherever you are and wherever you're seeing this even if it's not Sunday morning at 1101 uh, take, um, take some time in this space to invite the Holy Spirit into what you are doing take some time to pray take some time to seek and ask yourself these questions as well so we bless you and we love you we're so glad that you are with us this morning so let's invite God into every space in our lives and say Lord